Coming up in this podcast, Broom Infrastructure, Perth's Livability, Broking Profits, Mining Services IPO, Finney and Go, Eddie Hagel, Food for Thought, and our special report on residential construction with a new local leader. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast and welcome Mark Beyer. Mark, uh, first up, there's a good sign for our economy, a new marine base at Broome. Yep, and look, this is a... uh a good example of different ways of delivering infrastructure around the state. It doesn't all have to be done by government. So uh, Broome has had a couple of big issues. Um, that north, that Kimberley coast has um, extreme tidal movements. So when cruise ships go into Broome, they're affected by these nine metre tides. It's very hard to get people on and off a boat when it moves that much. Yeah. Also a big opportunity up there, all the oil and gas developments off the coast and the, the Browse gas project is the next big one in the pipeline. Um, there's a little bit of um, servicing work out of Broome, but they've always been constrained by the infrastructure. So a private consortium pulled together by Andrew Natter um, and Mike Hollett. Uh, Mike also chairs the Water Corporation. Yeah. They've got a group. Um, it's a $110 million project, um, but um, I spoke to Andrew Natter. He's very confident they've got the funding lined up. Um, to develop what will be a floating wharf right okay. next to the jetty up there at Broome. Got it. Big enough to take cruise ships, um, big enough to take oil and gas service vessels, um, even things like exporting um, agricultural produce, um, beef, cattle, um, aquaculture. So, you know, a really significant development that opens up all sorts of opportunities up and, there. And Mark, does it just float up and down with the tide or does it go out to deeper water and come back in again? Or no, well, there's a jetty that, that uh, runs out to, yeah. the, to the floating wharf. Um, so it it's just moves up and down with the tide. So there's enough deep water in the, at the jetty. It's just the jetty goes from being 10 metres high to being 20 metres high. That's right, oh, yeah. It. Okay, yeah, which um, is awkward, I get it. And it's down near there near the wharf, so it's it's um, separated from the beaches where most of the tourists go. You know, it's yep. often an issue in these established towns where the the harbour is right in the middle of town. Yeah. Broome is a bit different, Got so it. you can have these sort of more industrial services going on without disrupting the tourism. Yeah, no, fair call. Interesting. All right. Now, uh, Mark, there's been a lot of concern about Perth people failing to talk up our state's capital city. Uh, yet again, it's been a winner in livability. Yeah, the, the Committee for Perth has raised that as an issue, um, where, where their sort of surveying has suggested there's a, an unwillingness by Perth people to talk about the good things that are going on here. Now, um, Ipsos, they're one of the big um, sort of market research firms out there. They did a survey of nearly 10,000 Australians and said, what are the things that you like most about you know, where you live um, or the things that you attach most value to? Um, and how does your location rate? And um, I was quite surprised. Pleasantly, Inner Perth was rated number one across the entire country. Yeah. So there was a whole range of criteria. Um, you know, feeling safe was a very high one for people. Access to health services, um, you know, affordable, decent housing, uh, quality of public transport, job prospects, um, access to the natural environment. That's one where Inner Perth rated very well. Um, as a resident of North Perth, um, this was close to my heart. Yeah, but when um, we say Inner Perth, what are we really talking about there? We're, we're not talking about just five kilometre radius from the central city, are we? We're talking about kind of the, the traditional older Perth. 
So this is the sprawling, the more sprawl down to Mandurah. Sort that's of thing. right. Yeah. So you know, Subi, North Perth, East Perth. Um, okay, right. And, and Mount Lawley, that sort of so area. So it is just the core. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, as opposed to, I mean, Northwest Perth is another sort of region in this survey. That's sort yeah. of up on the coastal area. That rated, um, I think, number seven or eight nationally. So that was still okay. pretty high. But look, we've got this debate about. Um, um, you know, apartment living, about trying to get a bit more density in Perth's development. Um, and this suggests that there are a lot of attributes in the inner suburbs that people really like. Um, that's where people want to live. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so we should. So that's the irony, isn't it? People want to live there, so if we, if we put some density to get more people in there, but then the density might make it less livable. Or is that not the problem? Well, if, if density is done properly... You know, everyone can point to an example of a bad sort of bit of infill um, or an apartment building that overlooks some backyards. But there are many good examples out there. Yeah. Um, and I'm all for it. I think it's fabulous. Um, this shows this is where people want to live. And um, if developers are a bit more creative, a bit smarter about what they do, um, then they can deliver the product that people should want. Totally agree with you, Mark. Now, Mark, uh, stockbroker Hartley's released its annual results this week. What have they done? Yeah, so um, we uh, troll through the annual returns that go to ASIC and um, unlisted businesses like Hartley's um, lob their annual results. Uh, interesting reading. Uh, it just shows that the major stockbroking firms in Perth have been hit hard by the really quiet conditions over the past sort of year or so. Um, something that we track through our own deals database, which we've spoken about before. So for the year to June 2019, um, Hartley is still in the black, um, but a profit of just 2.4 million, down from about 12 million the previous year. Um, and they've had even bigger numbers in years before that. Yeah, I mean. um, revenue, this tells you something, down from 65 mil down to about 35 million. Mm. And, and the big fall was in their corporate finance area. Um, their, their, their retail advisory business, which is, if you like, at the heart of the stockbroking firm, that's still profitable. Um, but it was that corporate finance area that really um, hit them hard. Yeah. And that comes after Euros, so they're a you know, big competitor in town, but also listed on the ASX. They put out their results um, earlier this year, um, or a month or so ago. Um, their, their phrase, I mean, they were still in the black, but um, reasonable result in challenging markets. <laughs> so things were pretty tough there. Yeah, right. um, same thing, big fall away in the volume of capital raisings. Got it, right. So the uh, deal flow is not there, which yep. obviously does affect the retail Broking on because they they don't have product to sell. Yes, but they've still got their typical wealth advisory broking business that ticks over, keeps things going. So they've got long-term sustainable clients, but just not that volume of product and deals to to take them to the better days. And look, certainly there's been a big theme through the whole industry of building up funds under management or yep. funds under advice. So that gives you that recurring revenue. Um, but you need the deals to put uh, lots of cream on top, and they've not had that in the past year. No, no, but absolutely that not. Does lead into our next topic. Well, that's right. So you've got a, we've got a um, another good sign. Um, second mining services IPO after a very long drought. So we've recently um, written about Mater Group. Uh, we haven't discussed it in the uh, podcast. So no, we haven't. This is a good chance. Um, Look, one of those businesses that had you know, 
pretty much zero public profile outside the mining industry. Uh, but Mader Group was set up 14 years ago by Luke Mader. He was a, uh, um, a mechanic out of the West Track business. He decided that there was a smarter, more effective, better value way of delivering services to the big mining companies. Um, so he's built up this extraordinarily successful business. Uh, they've just raised $50 million through an IPO, yeah, right. and they're due to start trading on the ASX on Monday of next week. Uh, Bill Potter did that deal. And then hot on the heels of that, um, another business called MLG um, out of Kalgoorlie. Now, similar story. I think, you know, unless you're in the mining game, zero public profile, but a similar theme. Um, Murray Leahy established the business in back in 2001. He bought one truck, and that was his starting point. Yeah. Um, now got a business um, that's become very successful. Uh, now this business, MLG, um, their plans came to light because they've recruited a guy named Phil Mirams as their new CFO. Uh, now Phil's previously worked at places like Navitas, um, Automotive Holdings, UGL, Right. And I thought, so he well, knows a listed world. That's an interesting kind of guy to bring into a little mining services business. Yeah, right. So you went and asked the question, um, did you? Well, they're, they're not little, <laughs> and um, and they're doing very well. So they've just done a non-deal roadshow. Okay. Um, they've got Macquarie as their lead manager. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of interesting that a big group like Macquarie is taking on a deal like this. Yeah. Um, look, you know, revenue, one hundred and ninety million dollars. Yeah. Um, EBITDA about thirty-three million. Sure. Um, so yeah, so recruiting a, a very experienced CFO is sort of one more step that this group is doing as they're doing their preparations for an IPO, which they're hoping to get done by the end of the year. Yep. Um, and look, they've got an interesting structure. Um, they do a, a range of things, sort of haulage, logistics, crushing, um, but they think because of the diversity they've got, they won't have the same volatility that's been uh, the death knell for other mining services businesses in the past. Yeah, right. Um, but look, really encouraging, just sort of reinforces that pickup in the whole mining space and mining services. Um, Quick question I'd without notice. How many IPOs have we had this year? Oh, about three. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought yes. with Mater it was maybe going to be four. Well, so Mater would make it four. Yeah. yeah. So, and in the good years, maybe 50? Oh, 30, 40. Yeah. yeah. Up to 50, I think we've yeah. had. So, you know... This is a real drought and yes. a big difference. So and the ones before this were tiddlers. Yeah, know, they right. were sort of three to four million dollar deals. Yeah. Okay. So to get two big IPOs happening in mining services, yeah, yep. all good, all good signs that there's some stars aligning. And well, and the other one we'll just drop in for discussion: Prime West. Yeah. Also working on an IPO. Got it. Um, no, very successful Perth property management company. Yep. Um, so. They're, they're going through the process as well. And expanding beyond Perth with some of their property purchases from... Regulation. Well, in fact, on um, we just had news they've made another acquisition in the US. Yeah, yeah. And, so. and certainly a lot on the East Coast. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, the IPO market is happening. Yeah, so, yes, already those brokers will be feeling better even though the results out from the previous financial year weren't so great. Um, now, Mark, a, a pretty well-read story this week was some legal action stemming from a development at Elizabeth Quay. Uh, look, I was very surprised when I was going through the uh, Supreme Court judgments during the week, and the names... Uh, Victor- a- as you do on behalf of our readers, thank as you. Do. <laughs> uh, as a journalist, always a, a very fruitful uh, source of information. 
Uh, you learn all sorts of things. Um, I was particularly surprised when I saw the names um, Adrian Finney and Victor Goh mentioned in a Supreme Court judgment. Now, Adrian, of course, is one of the most successful developers in town, uh, the man behind the old Treasury uh, building development. Um, so he's partnered with Victor Goh's a, a very established Malaysian developer. Yeah, who uh, built the building that Woodside's in now. That's right, yep. And um, they partnered on, uh, they've got a couple of lots down at Elizabeth Quay and they've released some very, um, you know, quite exciting plans for that, sort of high-rise apartments um, with an art gallery at the top and, and all sorts of interesting things. Mm. They've had a very serious falling out. Mm-hmm. Um, Adrian was in there in a consulting capacity um, and was picking up some very tidy fees from Victor Go. Um, the, the, the nub of the court case was that even though they've had a falling out and he's no longer providing consulting services, he still has to get paid. Mm-hmm. So adds something to um, Adrian Finney's reputation as uh, the master dealmaker <laughs> <laughs> when you can get paid even though when you're no longer providing the service. Well, a deal is a deal, right? Um, nonetheless, that site... Um, People in in the CBD looking down over Elizabeth Quay, they would have seen some site works happening. This is on the right-hand side of Elizabeth Quay as you're facing the river. Right. Um, Or the western side if you want to be geographically. That's right, yes. (laughs) So so progress is continuing with the development. Um, You know, one more at Elizabeth Quay. But, you know, a really fascinating insight to uh, some, some commercial arm wrestling that's been happening behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that'll get people talking. Now, Mark, we had uh, Eddie Hagel, head of BHP's Nickel West, this week. Uh, well, you did the Q&A. What did you take away from that? Yeah, Eddie was our latest guest at our Success and Leadership Breakfasts. Um, absolutely fascinating story. Uh, he um, He's a BHP career person, spent about 20 years in the coal business over on the East Coast before well, He's moving. never worked for anyone else. That's right. <laughs> a rare thing. Yeah. Yeah. All these predictions that people will have uh, numerous employers over their life. There are still quite a few uh, one-company people out there. Um, but look, Eddie then ran the iron ore business, talked about the changes or, or the mining side of the iron ore business. Yep. Um, and he was there in that period when iron ore prices went from about $180 a tonne down to $50 a tonne. Yep. So you know, massive restructuring that was undertaken around that time. Um, they did a lot of insourcing, so that the mining contractors were replaced by BHP staff. Um, and also that was the, the start of when BHP made this big shift towards standardising operations across all of their assets, and that's something they've continued to push. Mm. Um, but the big story was around Nickel West. Now, when Eddie was appointed head of that division uh, back in 2015, it was earmarked for closure. Um, but Not that he said he knew that. Well, I know. He's, it's it's um, quite fascinating. Um, he came in thinking this was a, a turnaround of a, a struggling asset um, and then discovered that uh, people on high were planning to shut it down um, in the near future. He negotiated this opportunity. He called it the 10-80-10 sort of plan. Um, and it held out this... Uh, the, the good bit was the 10% possibility that it might have a long-term future. And that held out hope for the staff. Um, they turned around the business, improved the operation, and have then ridden this big wave towards electric vehicles. And, mm. of course, nickel uh, and nickel sulphate is a key ingredient in the batteries that go into electric cars. 
Um, but yeah, look, he gave a very candid and absolutely fascinating account of how much they changed the business. Um, you know, right down to the point where um, Nickel West used to sell all their output into the London Metals Exchange. They didn't actually have any relationships directly with any of their customers. Mm. So he went off to China, started talking to the stainless steel producers, and was quite horrified to discover that Nickel West had no relationships there. Yeah, and they didn't care if he existed or not. That's right. One of the people said, best thing that can happen to your business is that you die. <laughs> so he came from off, off, he was almost sort of down on the canvas, um, picked it up, and um, and now got a very bright future. So um, it was it was a great story, um, and and some really encouraging. Um, you know, Eddie's got a real warmth to him, and he talked about the importance of having. Um, I think he talked about you know having hope, yeah. and, and and sort of having a vision and, and a belief that there's a future for the business. Oh, look, I, I thought it was. I mean, what did he say? He, he had he had two thousand people. And even though I think it was an eighty percent chance of closure, am I right in yep. saying that? That's yep. what they were. That was the eighty, so eighty percent chance of closure. So what he did was he put two people on focused on the closure, and one thousand nine hundred ninety-eight people focused on finding a way out of it for the ten percent. Pretty brilliant, I think. And gave them all things to focus on. Let them focus on their particular part of the business yep. and said, what can you do to make that better? Yeah, And then collectively had a big impact. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just have to add, seeing as we said 10, 80, 10, the other 10 was some sort of catastrophe could happen, which I think yes. was, you know, that was out of their hands and, and not their problem. So really, it was a 90% chance of closure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, if it was business as usual, it was closure. Yeah. If something bad happened, it was closure. Yeah. But there was this little, this faint possibility that was held out. And now and it's a very good segment in the BHP business and got a lot of future in front of it. Fabulous. He did make the observation that uh, if you go back far enough, there was a time when nickel produced more profit than iron ore for BHP. Um, So he's uh, with a little glint in his eye, he said he's he's sort of thinking about when that might uh, might occur again. Might be a long way away. Every 12 years, he said, nickel does well. (laughs) 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 Has Has a little boom. And he said, so obviously we're in that now, but he said it isn't quite making... You know, it isn't outweighing the iron ore profits, but nevertheless, it does sound like it's doing extremely well at the moment. And he really held the attention of the audience. Yeah. It was a really fascinating story. And look, uh, also, he did talk about the potential, and he was very bullish about the potential for us to have a real battery business here in WA, not just battery minerals, but stitching it all together. He doesn't think car batteries are going to be likely, because he sort of said, typically, the people in that industry have said they're probably going to make the batteries at the factories where they make the cars or next to them but he said you with houses with batteries for houses and those bigger batteries that for that kind of usage he said there's a big possibility there because they don't you know obviously you don't have factories that make houses so so these are the batteries that would store the energy that yeah, come off the solar panels rooftop on solar the roof. or, or yeah. other conven- you know other yeah. ways that, yeah so so more that yeah those static batteries rather than rather mobile ones so big potential there thinks we've got an opportunity and we should get on with it yeah look I was pleasantly surprised about how upbeat he was yeah. in that regard yeah we you, don't you don't normally hear that from people yes. like that. They, in fact, people in the mining business, you know, say, oh, no, no, you know, our job's not to make more, it's to sell to customers and let them do what they want with it. So, no, pretty fascinating bloke. Great interview. Yep. Thanks for that. Um, another event we had during the week was our first food for thought breakfast. What did you think of that? 
Uh, very different experience, um, and deliberately so. Um, so this was our sort of a what, women in business um, kind of theme. Yeah. Um, there was a really interesting panel. So we had um, half a dozen people up on stage, um, all sharing their experiences. Um, Fiona Wood, uh, the, the the surgeon and scientist, um, always very entertaining. Um, she'd been up at 5 a.m., checked her emails, been for a swim, done some research, and then was there on stage at 7.30. Yep. Amazing. Uh, Michelle Lamera, uh, one of our 40 Under 40 winners, um, a surgeon, and you know, shared very candidly the fact that you know she's a, a very experienced surgeon, and yet she still has these, these occasions where she said her peers, her colleagues, never had issues in, in dealing with each other as you know, respected professionals, but sometimes she'll be in front of a patient and they just can't handle the idea of a woman being a surgeon yeah. and their life in her hands. Both men and women. Yes. Though I think, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, unfortunately or fortunately for Michelle, because she, she said she's been 16 years a surgeon and you know it takes, you know, whatever, 12 years to get there or something like that. So she's not a spring chicken in a sense, but she looks really young. So I suspect, I actually suspect for her that, People look at her and they don't understand the experience she, that that is behind that face. That it, that would be my my gut feeling there. It, you know, I think yes, they expect some grey-haired you know bloke who's who's been around. But I, but her, you know, chink in the armour, so to speak, might also be that she just looks younger than what she actually is. That is true. Yep. But look, other people on the panel: um, Alicia Curtis. She was the founder of One Hundred Women, uh, a very successful giving circle. Um, you know, really inspiring uh, lady. A um, lot of get up and go, a um, lot of energy. Um, and Amanda Payton from the Parkerville Children and Youth Centre. Um, a very different story there. Yeah. Talked about some of the really tough issues that she has to deal with at Parkerville, yeah. uh, where people who are victims of, um, of sexual and physical abuse. Yeah. Um, no, no, yeah. it was a bit disconcerting, that conversation. That was a tough start to the day yeah, uh, yeah. For, the, for the rest of us to be confronted with that. But that's, gee, that's the reality out there. No, totally. Um, so, you know, hats off to people like Amanda and others at Parkerville that can deal with that. Yeah. Um, so, look, you know, all the people on the panel, um, Angel Chen, she's a young social entrepreneur, was there as well. And they all sort of shared some of their experiences. A really interesting discussion and a, a very different insights for me. Yeah, and uh, Ingrid, who did the uh, welcome, Coming. did the Welcome to Country, was also on the panel, and I thought she was had a lot of insight there as well. I think what I got from it was, I mean, there weren't that many men in the audience, so it was an interesting uh, conversation. In that sense, um, I think it was that really about you know changing the next gen, but also trying to not have to wait for the next gen kind of thing, which I I really took on board. I thought that was really pretty fascinating, actually. Um, Mark, our uh, special report is on residential construction. Uh, it's still tough, I imagine. Yeah, so Dan Wilkie has done a in-depth look at this and um, coincides with uh, the HIA um, top 100 builders around the country. So they crunch the numbers and tell us who's been getting the work. Um, the overall theme is a lot less work for everybody. Um, you know, there's a very substantial downturn um, in fact, probably the longest downturn ever in residential construction in WA. Did, did someone say, like, it's the lowest building numbers this year for 12 years or something like that? Or? Oh, it could well be. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very, um, very deep and sustained downturn. 
within that, um, there's been a change at the top. So traditionally, BGC has been the biggest builder in WA, um, and in fact, one of the biggest in the country. Um, they've been bumped off the top of the list by uh, Dale Alcock's ABN group. Um, so they did uh, about 3,000 dwelling starts last year. What's interesting there is that about 40, just over 40% were outside of WA. Um, so they've had a big focus on expanding into Victoria in particular oh, see, and Melbourne. Right, right. Um, so that's had a lot more, that's been more buoyant than the WA market and, and stood them in good stead. Um, but even just, I don't have it in front of me, but even just their WA numbers, I think, puts them ahead of BGC. Got it. Um, BGC did about 1,600 housing starts. But, you know, a few years ago, they were doing um, more than 4,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. houses a year. All in WA. Um, so their, their market share seems to have waned a bit, but also this, the market overall yeah. um, has really come off. Um, then we've got stats on the others, you know, Ventura Homes, Red Inc., JWH, uh, Julian Walters business up there. And look, some of the other trends that Dan's picking up, you know, this continued move away from traditional four by two bungalow, um, just towards greater choice of housing types, yeah. um, which is a, a theme I've been hearing people talk about. That's been the aspiration. You know, I think bit by bit it's starting to happen. Um, so you've got your suburban bungalow, you've got your high rise in a city apartment, there's you know enormous variety in between those two extremes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, also, a move away from double brick. You know, brick and tiles been sort of the defining feature of houses in WA. Um, but you know, people are using other building materials to a degree. Um, also, that shift towards um, smaller blocks um, happening there. Um, and look, you know, Dan's seeing some cautious optimism. Um, but gee, when you're going through a downturn, yeah. you've got to keep some optimism. Yeah, yeah. Well, the word green shoots was used again today, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, I've heard that too many times, so enough is enough. Uh, look, um, Mark, I uh, had uh, Danny Cooper, a CEO from, B from BG, new CEO at BGC, sitting next to me for the Eddie Hagel event, and uh, look, I, you know, he's just taken the reins. Um, he's pretty positive, but, you know, says it's really tough. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, hosting him on the uh, 22nd of October as our next SNL Success and Leadership uh, guest. Um, so basically, that's a that's an ad really for our next event. Uh, Danny's an experienced executive. He's got 25 years management experience in construction materials across Australia and most recently in the UK. Uh, Danny arrived in Perth in 2019, i.e. this year to take on the role at BGC, uh, the first time it's really been uh, in independent hands or, or, or a, a non-family member running it, um, and uh, it's a massive business, $2.5 billion, 4,000 employees, uh, and a, from what I've met him a couple of times, he's probably the guy to, you know, take it where it needs to go. I'm really looking forward to that yeah. and seeing how he's taking on that challenge of taking a business that's been you know, dominated by the, fam the Buckeridge family. Yeah. Um, putting and it in, turning it around, and improving yeah. and, it. And yeah, anyway, he's got some great thoughts, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll hear all about that in a in a month or so. Uh, that's going to be an inter interesting discussion. Uh, tickets are on sale now, so go to our website and uh, get yourself along to that. All right, thank you. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Bayer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts, and to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.